Okay, I'm going to be talking about uh, prayer today and corporate prayer specifically and uh, starting to just kind of look at corporate prayer. So, so far, I'm talking about prayer for the last month or so. We've been talking a little bit about, or I've been talking a little bit about uh, personal prayer, praying in the spirit, um, and the idea mostly that prayer should be changing us. So if we're praying and we feel like nothing is happening, that is true. Like, nothing is happening if we don't feel like anything's happening. And I know that that may sound discouraging, but it's not. It's an invitation to see the answer to prayer being your heart changing. So if when we talk to God, we change. There are no wasted prayers. There's no kind of grinding it out for years, hoping to see the one thing happen. That's really not a prayer that you're going to see in the Bible. So Abraham would be the, pre- the preeminent example. Abraham did carry a promise for a hundred years or a long time, maybe not a hundred years, but a long time. And it did happen, but Abraham was changed in the process. That's what the story is really about, is Abraham becoming conformed into the, to the family of God and from a person that was outside and becoming the beginning of a nation of people that would all be in a family of God. So when we pray, we really want to be looking for, God, what are you changing in me? My understanding and my agreement with you and just the way I spend my time like what are the things that are changing in me outside of you know an angelic visitation or the nations moving or you know my wife finally understanding what I'm trying to say like these are all things we can pray for but we should be changing as we pray does that make sense so today we're going to start talking about corporate prayer corporate prayer is no different than any other prayer that we should be actually the ones looking for a change inside of the prayers and then the kingdom of God to come through the people that pray and to actually do stuff. Because it's very tempting to just want to go do stuff or pray and add some do stuff to the prayer. And both of those are compromised. Just go do stuff and to add some do stuff to the prayer. And that's not popular theology nowadays, but I'm going to show you why that's true. Okay, so item one fruitless, or what I call tear, or I think the Bible calls tear works, are lawlessness. So when you read about the parable of the wheat and the tares, the tear is actually a specific plant called the darnel plant. And darnel is what's called false wheat. And false wheat looks just like real wheat all the way until the time of the harvest. And the real wheat makes wheat, and the false wheat doesn't. And so if you pulled up all the false wheat, you'd pull up the real wheat with it because you can't tell the difference until the time of the harvest. And so we're living in the time of the harvest. Jesus picked this kind of plant real specifically, okay? So Matthew 18, 19 to 20. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. So I want you to think about this, this verse for a second. How do you think Satan feels about that verse? If if two of you agree on earth about anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Do you think Satan's like, sweet, I hope a bunch of people get together and say some stuff in agreement? No, why? Because he, he doesn't want the kingdom of God to come. And, and the people that know God are supposed to want the kingdom of God to come. And if the kingdom of God comes, it displaces the stolen kingdom Satan has. Satan doesn't want that to happen. So the main thing he doesn't want to happen is for you and I to agree together with Jesus about what needs to happen and say it. Like, because you can think a ton of things. You can think conflicting things. And if you don't take the time to sort them out, you'll believe two things that are directly opposed to each other and think that you can hold them both. But when you start to say them, you pick one thing. And if, you, if you've ever taught, you find this out pretty quickly, you say something and you're like, oh, actually that other thing can't be true if this one thing is true. 
And so what Jesus is looking for is to sift out of a bunch of people that just kind of want good things to happen, a people that want what God says is good to happen. That's different. And when we do that, we'll let go of a bunch of things we think are good that can't exist in the kingdom of God if God is right and God is good. Okay. So where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. So two people just getting together and agreeing about something, does that have power in it? No. What has power in it is two people with Jesus. <laughs> when Jesus is there, then it's got power. So you could be like, well, hey, Sam and I, we'd like a million bucks. Sam, let's agree for a million bucks and get a million bucks. And Jesus would be like, I'm really not in that. That wouldn't help you. That wouldn't accomplish my goal in your life. If you want the, the, to qualify into this passage, it's got to be two or, two or three agreeing with Jesus together. And then he does the thing. And he said, if you got this kind of faith, you could, you could literally tell a, mus- or a, 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 a tree to stop growing and it would go, you know, stop growing or a mountain, you could cast it into the sea. So sometimes you read that, you're like, if I had faith of a mustard seed, I could say to the mountain, be cast into the sea and you'd be like walking around telling mountains to go into the sea and nothing's moving. Well, that's not what Jesus is saying right then. So it's got to be you agreeing with God about what he wants and then the mountain moves if he wants the mountain to move. Jesus only did what he saw the Father doing. So that's why his prayers were answered 100%, okay? Now, Satan isn't afraid of our programs, our counseling, our works, our generosity, our concern. He's not afraid of our teaching or our discipling of people. He's not afraid of any of those things. We could do those things till we're blue in the face. In fact, Jesus said to the Pharisees, you scour the earth for a proselyte, and then you make him twice the son of hell as you are. He, Satan loved the teaching of the Pharisees. It worked great for him. That's what he wanted. A bunch of people thinking they were serving God and actually serving his fleshy, lawless, man-powered kingdom. That's what he wants. He, he wants man to think we're in control while he's in control. That's perfect for him. He's fine with that. He doesn't, he doesn't care about any of that. What Satan is threatened by is our prayer. He's threatened by us getting together with God and then getting together with each other. And God promised, I will do what the three of us agree with, or, you know, just for an analogy, and I'll bring my kingdom through those people. The kingdom's not coming in a way as to be seen. So a ton of the church right now is like, I'm just seeing all the signs. The end is near. I'm waiting for this country to do that thing. I'm waiting for these people to do that thing. I'm waiting for that guy to set up that thing in that place. And Jesus is like, the kingdom's not coming in a way as to be seen. It's within you. Those things will happen. The problem is people that are watching for those things, they won't even see them. They'll see them and they won't know what they are. The kingdom is coming through people that are looking at their own heart change, and then they get eyes to see because people are given delusion that don't love the truth. So you'd be like, well, I'm just watching for the signs of the times. I'm kind of living my life. I'm staying faithful. I'm staying the same until he comes, and he'd be like, you're actually falling away, and you won't even know it. You won't even recognize the things that are happening that you claim to understand. Now, where's a good example of this in the Bible? The Pharisees. They were experts in the Messiah. They didn't even recognize the Messiah. They rejected the Messiah using his own word, his own prophecies. So you have to understand, if you're watching for the signs of the times, like I'm kind of keeping a gauge on, you know, this is something I used to teach all the time. Israel is the clock of the nations, which isn't untrue. But if you just watch Israel, you'll miss the clock. You have to know what the Spirit's saying inside of you, what he's changing in you, so that at the day of his appearing, you're ready. You're not going to be ready because you knew all the right things. You're going to be ready because you agreed with Jesus about what's true inside of you, okay? And a lot of people got saved without the book of Revelation and got ready to live with Jesus in heaven forever before the book of Revelation was even written. So we have to understand, like, knowing all the scriptures, that's not really how you get ready for the end times. It's knowing yourself and knowing Jesus. Like, 
where you need to change to be like Jesus. So all these, the works, the generosity, the concern, our teaching, our discipling of people, without prayer, they produce fruitless works. You can spend a ton of time spinning your wheels and really producing nothing. Maybe eking out a thing here, a thing there that you say is the thing Jesus wanted, but not the thing Jesus says he wants. So we could like spend all of our lives like just praying for people and trying to talk to them and see a couple people say the prayer that we think they need to say to get saved and still find out in the end that wasn't what Jesus wanted. That'd be terrible, wouldn't it? To waste your whole life thinking, I'm working so hard for Jesus. I've even seen four or five people get saved and have Jesus be like, that actually wasn't even what I was directing you to do and I don't call them saved. Like they're not really giving their heart to me either, just like you aren't. So we actually want to be a people that go in to where he's at. That's prayer. That's, that's how you do that. You, you talk to a man that you can't see. Okay, that's called prayer. So this helps Satan when we produce fruitless works. Satan loves fruitless works because it gives a bad witness of Jesus and confuses people into thinking they're saved when they're not. Satan is great with that. And Jesus said over and over, do not be deceived. So Satan likes the deception of fruitless works. If you're spinning your wheels, trying real hard, you're like, Jesus loves it, I'm just trying. In the meantime, while we're waiting for him to do something, I'm trying my best. He'd be like, that's fruitless works. And it's confusing people about what I did. I saved people on the cross. I said it's finished. And you're acting like it's not. You're acting like it's in process. Do you see what I'm saying? Spinning our wheels in fruitless activity is unhelpful and unbecoming of Jesus' body. It's, it's unbecoming of the glory of what he did. It just kind of ignores the amazing thing he did on the cross, which was he made it possible to get the Holy Spirit inside of people again. Okay? It is a false witness. It's called lawless. So when you see lawlessness, that's what it is. It's fruitless works. It's doing a bunch of stuff that's actually confusing. It's counter, you know, it's like a psyops program of Satan to get people to believe they're serving God when they're not. And Jesus said it's going to get so bad in John 16. He said people are going to kill you and think they're serving God because they don't know him. So you have to know God, okay? John 15, 5 to 6. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I think it's amazing that Jen picked this song this morning. And I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. And she's, you're the, you're the vine, we're the branches. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. So what Jesus is looking for is a people that pray, a people that abide, that, that hang out with him, that spend time with him. Now, People that spend time with Jesus, they do what Jesus does. How many of you have ever prayed for somebody to get healed? Just raise your hand. How many people see somebody get healed every single time you pray? Anybody got that? I don't have that. I'm, I'm saying for an example. Did Jesus get an answer to every prayer he prayed in the positive? Yeah, he did. He did. He wanted the will of the Father. So even in Gethsemane, he's like, if there's any other way, not my will but yours. And God said, my will. He gave him his will. So Jesus, he, if you want to do really fruitful works, and maybe you won't pray for as many people, but when you do, you'll, you'll actually see more healing happen because you're abiding. It's fruitful. Now, that doesn't mean that we abide perfectly. In fact, the Bible says we see dimly. So we have to learn to hear the voice of God, but we should be growing in fruitfulness. That's actually what happened in the upper room. We've been for the last 10 days kind of waiting on the Lord in, in the idea of what we see in Acts 2. And when those guys went into the upper room, they weren't that fruitful. They were very confused. They weren't that prophetic. They really didn't heal that many people. But when they came out, they were fruitful. What did they do in the upper room? 
they were abiding. <laughs> like, they were waiting on the Lord. They were talking to him. They were praying. They were in one accord. They, be, they actually started to see things together with Jesus, and then he did exactly what he said, where two or three of you are gathered together in my name. I'm there with you. Whatever you ask, I'll do. And he started to do so much so that thousands of people were getting saved. Now, in the Great Commission, that, that was a first fruits, first fruits fulfillment of the Great Commission. That was power evangelism. What tracks did they write? What program did they follow? What button did they put on? Where did they go in the city to, to let the people that don't know Jesus know about Jesus? Where did they go? They came to them. They were abiding, and they, they produced fruitful works. And you'd be like, well, they're lazy. They didn't do anything. They're just sitting there, and it's so much fun to hang out with Jesus and hang out with a bunch of like-minded people. They weren't really doing anything. And Jesus would be like, it is the only city in the entire world that it was illegal to be a Christian. They're all together becoming a target together. They were, it was hard to be there. It wasn't easy to be there. But it was a light burden and an easy yoke, which Vince just prayed. And we want to be like, no, it should be harder than that to win converts because it's harder than that for me, right? And Jesus is like, it's not harder than that for me, though. And if you're with me, then it works like it does for me. And I just kind of went around and let people be drawn to me, and then I told them the truth, and some people followed me. And then I turned them into my family. That's what Jesus wants. He doesn't want a bunch of people that sign the card or say the prayer. He wants a family of people that actually want to hang out with him and let him be the strongest one in the room, okay? Matthew 7, 19 to 23. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Well, how would you know the will of the Father? You'd have to talk to him, wouldn't you? You'd have to actually have him explain. I mean, anybody found... The group that completely agrees on what this thing means? I haven't. But the Holy Spirit knows what it means. The Holy Spirit searches the deep things of the Father and gives them to us as we ask. That's abiding. So if you want to know the will of the Father, if you want to know even how to do this, he who does the will of my Father, you have to pray. Like, you have to talk to the Father. That's the whole point. Now, many of us will talk to the Father and feel like nothing happened. Like, I'm in the room. I close my eyes. I maybe even read a Bible passage, and I said, Father, I want to be more holy. And I walked out, and I kicked the dog, and I yelled at the person, and I didn't become more holy. And the Father would say, nothing happened in the prayer because you didn't see that you just praying was the opening of the door to become more holy. You have no confidence. You didn't pray in faith. You prayed in doubt. Do you see what I'm saying? So every prayer we pray can be one where something happens if we believe praying is actually what he wants. That, he's pleased with the agreement of just praying. Something happened right there. Maybe you didn't see it, but something happened, and that's how your faith grows. You start to get confident of things you can't see just because the Bible says them. You see what I'm saying? Our prayer lives are boring because we're doubtful. That's the way that that works. But if we're not doubtful, we're like, man, I prayed for the thing for my wife. I didn't see it happen, but I know it happened. That was a great prayer meeting because it was just the thing that I know it happened. And we don't... you know. Faith is confidence, so you weren't born with confidence. You learn confidence over time. It's just like, you know, a soccer player, he doesn't start out confident. He shouldn't. That'd be arrogant. But as he does it more and more, he learns confidence. That's what faith is. Faith is confidence in the things that we hope for. We should be doing it more and more and learning confidence. 
Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So fruitless works, that's lawlessness. He didn't say, no, you didn't prophesy. No, they did. He didn't say, you didn't cast out demons. No, they did. He didn't say you didn't do the great works. They did. He said, you were lawless. I didn't want your spinning of your wheels and eking out what you thought was acceptable to me. What's a story in the Bible of somebody kind of just giving God what they thought God wanted and another guy giving God what God wanted? Cain and Abel, right. So we don't want to go the way of Cain and feel good about the fact we're trying real hard. We actually want to feel real good about the fact Jesus did it all, and we don't have to do that. We can actually come and listen to him and then do the simple and wise things that he tells us to do. And he's like, I'll make those things very fruitful. And we'll get more and more close together. And it'll take all the pressure off of you, but really, it'll take all the glory off of you. It'll take all, you know, a lot of us are just waiting for that breakthrough. And everybody I pray for gets healed. And that's really about me. That's about me wanting to not look like a dummy. But Jesus is like, if you really believe that I'm healing all the time, you don't have to even care whether or not you look like a dummy. You can just know I'm doing the thing that I said. You can trust me in that, okay? And we can. We really can. He likes that we're trying to do it if we're doing that in faith. If we're just trying, he doesn't like that. He likes the things done in faith. Anything not done in faith, according to the Bible, is sin. So we want to do things in faith, okay? Now, uh, fruitless, the fruitless... Don't know they are fruitless. Who am I talking about when I say the fruitless? All those guys. Us. I'm talking about us, okay? The fruitless don't know they're fruitless because they keep themselves so busy trying to be fruitful. Effort does not equal fruitful. Everybody starts in this place. It's not like there's some bad people that just don't get it and they just try real hard like Martha. And There's a few Marys that were just born Marys. It doesn't work like that. Everybody's born trying to save their own lives. Everybody, Okay? And you might not think your efforts to evangelize or your efforts to understand the Bible or your efforts to prophesy are to save your own life, but I can tell you if they're not abiding in Jesus and him telling you what to do, that's exactly what they're trying to get a reputation, trying to get a ministry, you're trying to be impactful, you're trying not to waste your life, you're trying to save your life in a multitude of ways, and Jesus says that's unacceptable. You cannot save your own life, otherwise I wouldn't have gone to a cross. So come and sit with me and let me tell you how I'm saving you, how I saved you. How I will save you, right? He's past, present, and future. He, it's finished, he said. It's just, do you want to learn how to believe that it's finished? Do you want to rest in him? Enter into the rest is the way it says in Hebrews 4. So Jesus' yoke is easy and his burden light. Getting into that yoke and under that burden is fruitfulness. That's how a good a thing grows real good is it gets into the yoke. Yes, it's a yoke. There is some stuff that actually is required of you. It is a burden. There's actually some stuff you got to do. But it's light and it's easy and it comes from partnering with Jesus and letting him be the, the strength. So I just kind of picture a tractor and a driver. Everything in the earth is the Lord's, all of its fullness. And he works all things for the good of those who love him. So he's built this amazing tractor that will plant the field and, and hoe it and all the stuff and reap the harvest. He's got the machinery. And he's just looking for some drivers. He's looking for some people that are like, I'm not going to get down in the field and start pulling weeds just so I feel better about myself. He's like, you're in the way of the tractor. <laughs> I don't want the tractor to run you over. And you're letting all these people that aren't even part of the kingdom think that that's how the kingdom works. I got this huge tractor. Get in it and drive with me. Let me do the work. I actually made you for a creative role. You're my kind. 
I made you in my image. When I made Adam and Eve, I brought a bunch of animals that I made to Adam, and Adam gave them names, and I call them those names in the book of Job. I actually believe in the stuff that you'll do creatively with me if you listen to me. But if you're just going to scurry around and try to feel like a good person that really does the kingdom stuff, he's like, you're confusing everyone around you. You're really not producing any fruitfulness. You're getting burned out. You're going to quit. And I gain nothing in that. I'm a king worthy of people that listen to me. And I made you to drive tractors, not to be tractors. You see what I'm saying? It draws the accusation of being too free or selfish to do what Jesus wants. I want to say that again. If you actually do the gospel, it will draw the accusation out of people that don't follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit, that want God, that you're selfish and ineffective. That's the only deal you get if you follow Jesus. That's what Jesus got. Jesus was called a a criminal. He was called a liar, a blasphemer. He called himself the son of God, but he wasn't doing anything that we say would mean he is the son of God. But he doesn't answer to that accusation. He actually paid for the people that said that. So you can't get mad at the people that misunderstand the the Mary-Martha reality. But you do have to pick whether or not you want to be in the Mary reality or the Martha reality. You do. So it draws the accusation of being too free or selfish because it's patient and faithful, not impatient and lawless. The world loves impatient and lawless. The world wants God to come and rescue the world. It just has a bunch of different definitions of who God is, some of it being man and some of it being false gods and some of it being a a misperception of Jehovah. It wants a rescue. I mean, that's what we see all over the place, a bunch of people trying to save a bunch of other people. But none of them are saved. Jesus already saved us all. He said it's finished. He's looking for people that enter into that truth, okay? Martha and Mary. Martha wasn't helpful. She was arrogant. I've heard some really bad preaching about Martha, like, hey, we still need the Marthas. No, there's no place for Martha in the kingdom. Martha was supposed to sit at the feet of Jesus and find some fruitfulness in her works instead of wasting her time accusing her sister of being lazy. There is no redemption for Martha if Martha doesn't repent. None. So you have to understand, it's not like some people are Martha's, we need those guys just scurrying around, and some of us are Mary's, let's just kind of give ourselves to prayer. That doesn't work that way. He wants people that are a united body that give themselves in love to a connection to actual power. You're just a blender sitting on the counter not plugged in if you're Martha. If you're a Mary, you're plugged in, and who knows what you were made to do, but if you're plugged in, you will do it. You just don't know what it is yet. And he says, I don't know what else should become, but I know when I see him, I'll be like him. So there's, Jesus is infinite. What Jesus is like, if we, if we just got everybody that's ever lived on the planet, ever seen any aspect of God to come and say what Jesus is like, there wouldn't be enough books. The world couldn't contain the books that would be written about what he is like. He's infinite in his personality. If you're like him, you're like some part of who Jesus is. But you will never find that out until you plug in and let him actually power you up and find out what you do. And most of us just kind of want to try to be Jesus, never plugged in, and Satan's like, sweet, keep doing that. It's working great, right? It's working great for Satan right now. A bunch of people hating each other, saying everybody else is wrong, and being like, and I love Jesus too. Where's my AK? (laughs) Right? I heard Jim Gaffigan say, Jesus said, love one another, and everybody heard it as, kill homosexuals. (laughs) Not right. Okay. So, Mary, Martha wasn't helpful. She could not recognize the moment she was in or the company that she was in. 
She felt her activity was more important than her attention and obedience to God. Mary was extravagantly, I want to say that again, she was extravagantly vindicated in her simple listening, which also was certainly enjoyable. Mary was sitting there at Jesus' feet. Jesus has a pleasant personality. He knows stuff nobody else knows. He tells people stuff nobody else could tell them, and he loves them, and he encourages them, and speaks truth into their lives. Mary was certainly enjoying the conversation, and she was obeying Jesus at the same time. So just because you're liking it doesn't mean it's disobedient, right? The flesh says, if it's fun, that's selfish. I'll do the fun thing for a minute because the Bible says it, but then I'm going to go do the really hard things. And God is like, why do you insist on getting the glory? Why do you insist that it can't be an easy burden and a light yoke, or a light, light, easy yoke and a light burden? Why do you insist on that? Well, it's because of our flesh. It's because of our pride. It's because of our shame. We feel like, oh, we're not doing what the other churches are doing. There was a word that came out during the 10 days that there will be, according to Jude, infiltrators that will come here and be like, you need, we need to be like other churches. We're growing. We're getting some momentum. Yeah, the prayer's been great, but let's get some of the programs the other churches have. Let's get some good counseling, or let's get some good kid stuff here, or this thing here. Other churches have it. And this is what happened to Israel. When Israel started to look at the other nations, and were like, we need a king like those other nations, God stopped leading Israel prophetically. He gave them Saul. Saul destroyed Israel, because they wanted to be like the other nations with a king. Now, Thankfully, he gave them David, who led prophetically. We don't want to be like other churches at all. We want to be whatever the Holy Spirit defines this place as. And it might look like other churches. We don't want to resist being like other churches. We just don't want to look at other churches and be like, we got to get that in here to be a real church. That doesn't work that way. We have to actually abide in the Lord and let him decide how he grows it. So the Lord doesn't build it. It's not worth building at all. Now, it happened as they went. That he, This is Luke 10, 38 to 42. That is, he went, he entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Now, I want you to catch this, because the Holy Spirit highlighted this to me this morning. Martha is the one who met Jesus first. So you could be like, well, you know, Mary was kind of the flowery, she had the personality of just, you know, a lover and a hanger-outer. But that's not the case. Martha was busy. She was out. She was about. She was connected. She found Jesus. She brought him home. Mary wanted to know who he was. Martha didn't. Like, she was way more interested in getting the stuff to look right than to find out who he was, okay? And she had a sister called Mary who sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care? Now, instantly you know, oh, she doesn't even know who he is. Because, of course, he cares. If you knew him, you'd know he cares. That's what Mary saw it right away. He cares. I'm going to sit at his feet. This guy cares. Like, he knows stuff. And she didn't know him at all. And so she's accusing her sister who's doing the thing that he wanted, like that wanted to know him. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Another misconception. Martha, you're not alone. Do you think that just because we're doing something right now in this moment, like Mary recognizes there's something happening here that's really important, that we're just the kind of people that would just leave you to do all the work? Like, not only are you not seeing Jesus right when you don't see Jesus right, you're not seeing your sister right. Like, what do you think is going to happen to Mary when she's sitting at the servant's feet? Don't you think she'll become more of a servant? But you just, you think he's a hard man, and anybody who's wasting their time not helping you is hard like him. And he's, but you can't, you can't actually accuse him, so you got to accuse the people. You see what I'm saying? There's something going on in her heart. He tells her this in a second. He tells her, 
you're troubled by a lot more than the fact that Mary's not up there doing dishes with you. You got a, you're mad and sad about a bunch of things, and it's just coming out in this one way, okay? Do you not care that my sister's left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. She knows. He can, she's listening to Jesus. He can make her do whatever. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you're worried and troubled about many things. But one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will never, will not be taken away from her. He's like, I'm not going to tell her to stop doing the thing that I'm here for. Humble yourself and see this is what I'm here for. You can't use Jesus to stop Mary from doing the thing Jesus wanted and think that you're still okay with Jesus. You can't use Jesus to tell a bunch of other people to do what you want and still think you're right with Jesus. He wants you to come do what he wants. That's it. Okay? That's fruitless. She was, she was working fruitlessly. Mark 14, 4 to 9. But there were some who were indignant among themselves and said, why was this fragrant oil wasted? So later on, after Mary sat at Jesus' feet, she became a, a person willing to give it all. And so eventually when Jesus was about to be crucified, she knew something no one else seemed to be able to understand or get. Even though he told them it plainly. He told them, I'm gonna be, the Son of Man's going to be crucified. They're like, no, no, not you, Lord. Like they had all kinds of ideas of what was about to happen. Even, even at the, the moment, you know, before the crucifixion, they still didn't know what was happening. But Mary knew. So she did the most fruitful thing a person could do in that moment in time. And you know what? I bet it was enjoyable for her. I bet she felt good about doing it. Because she knew who he was, and she just wanted to love who he was, okay? Now, there were some who were indignant among themselves. They said, why was this fragrant oil wasted? So she took, you know, a very expensive jar of perfume and dumped it out on his feet. For it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. Now, if you reason things out like the disciples, you'd be like, well, shouldn't we set up another synagogue or some permanent place where we can teach people about Jesus? But better use the money for that. But that's not what Jesus wanted. That's not what the Father wanted for Jesus. Mary was part of an entirely different reality that was happening in the heavenly realm. She didn't really try to logic it out, what people would think about it or what made, what made sense, what was a good idea. She just wanted to be in agreement with him, okay? And she was. And they criticized her sharply. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She's done a good work for me. He called this work. For you will have the poor with you always. So when are we going to get rid of the poor? Never. Never. Even in heaven, some will be last. Just let that sink in for a second. We imagine heaven way wrong. Some will be, there will be people that don't have as much as you do, hopefully, in heaven. Because you stored treasure in heaven. That doesn't mean you won't give them anything. In fact, heaven will operate in a free flow of resources. But you will control some, and some people won't. And it will entirely depend on learning this lesson. To sit at his feet, listen to him, stop being fruitless, stop working so hard to do something Jesus already did, and actually let him do something in you, change you. He says, for you will have the poor with you always, and whenever you wish, you may do them good. This is forever, always. This is an always thing. Whenever you wish, you may do them good. But me, you do not have always. She has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to Jesus. No, as a memorial to her. As a memorial to her. Even though she didn't want any glory for herself, she was seeing the glory of Jesus, he's like, you're going to be part of my body, you're going to get glorified forever with me. I'm going to make sure that this is never forgotten. Now, Martha, we don't really know what Martha was doing when she was buzzing around the house mad at Mary. Like, I don't know if she was sweeping. I don't know if they had a sweeper. But I know what Mary did. I know what Mary did. 
Because Mary's works were fruitful, they're still working even to this day in us. We can read Mary's story, and Jesus says this is a testimony worth being a prophecy. But the fruitless works, they're just a waste of our time and a waste of Jesus' resources because the breath in your lungs, it belongs to Jesus. The beat in your heart, it actually belongs to the master. The money you got, it's Jesus' money. This building, this is Jesus' building. This isn't our building. And so we have to be very concerned that we do what Jesus wants with this place, not what we think is a good idea, not what other churches do, not what we're like, hey, we have this need, let's meet the need. That's not the way that a prophetic church operates. A prophetic church operates by whatever the Lord says, that's what we do. And that's the only kind of church that will really make it through the end times. Okay? Now, Martha's works were fruitless and forgotten because they were no threat to Satan. They just, this is what they did. They didn't do anything to Satan's kingdom at all. They tired Martha out, so she felt useful, but she was working counter to the kingdom. And Jesus told it to her plainly. You're actually asking me to do something I don't want to do. That's working counter to the kingdom. You don't want to do that. They were an expression of other worries in an attempt to control something. She just wanted to control something. (laughs) All right, I'm going to control this thing. I'm getting annoyed. It's not really under control. And she's not doing anything. Now I want to control her. Oh, that's not working. Martha was just getting more frustrated. She wasn't agreeing with Jesus, and Jesus was right there present with her. Her fruitless works were uh, born from an arrogant idea of superiority to her sister and to Jesus, that he would let Mary, let Martha get the short end of the stick while he's present. That's an accusation against Jesus, right? And she knew he would, he could, if he said something, she would do it. That what he had to say wasn't as important as what Martha th- thought should be done. Martha elevated her thoughts above God. She thought he had to do something different than he wanted to do. They were, her fruitless works were a distraction. She actually interrupted an amazing conversation between Jesus and Mary. They distracted not just Martha, they distracted Mary and they interrupted Jesus. So we need to think about the things that I think we ought to do or the things that I'm going to do or this is what I'm going to do for the kingdom or this is the thing I'm going to start or this is the thing I'm going to end. Are they interrupting somebody else's conversation with Jesus? Are they interrupting somebody else's abiding? Like, you don't want to be responsible for that. And Jesus is not pleased with that. Martha's fruitless works that were forgotten were uh, rooted in the misconception that Jesus was a hard man and wasn't capable of understanding Martha or Mary. That she had to tell him where she was at in this thing as though he didn't know. Like, do you ever feel that way? God, do you see what's going on? The answer is yes, I do. I know exactly what's going on. And maybe you don't. Maybe you don't understand what's going on. Maybe you need a minute to just take a step back and sit with me for a second and say, okay, I'm burned out. I'm frustrated. I see all these things that I think need to happen. And I see these people that seem to be talking to you, not doing anything. What's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? This, is, this would have helped Martha tremendously. And maybe she did this. We don't know. Hopefully she did. Mary's works were counter to human logic. And for that reason, because they came from an idea given by heaven, they're still working to this day. They're prophetic. They will never not be true. Mary's works got her into the cross with Jesus. Do you see that? Do you see that Mary started to get accused of doing something wrong and she was the only person doing the right thing in both of those situations? But the accusation from people that knew Jesus quite well, Mar- Martha found Jesus and introduced him to Mary and the disciples were his followers and his, you know, they carried the money, they managed the crowds. All the people that knew him the best were the ones that accused Mary of being the worst. 
So you have to understand, this is the way the, if you don't have this happening in your life somehow, you don't have a cross. And if you have a cross, you're supposed to count it all joy. So my personal experience is when I get a cross, I typically don't count it all joy. I start to count up all the ways people are giving me a cross. That's different than counting it all joy. So if a man would give for love all the wealth of his house, it would be utterly despised, be worthless. If we really were getting into the flow of the cross, we'd be like, I have a cross. Woe to the people giving it to me. God forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. But thank you that I am like Jesus, and I'm actually getting, I'm getting treated like Jesus. We should all want to be with Jesus and treated like Jesus. And when it happens, we're supposed to actually learn over time to count that a joy. So Mary's works got her into a cross with Jesus. This is what's called love. The cross is love, defined by Jesus. Jesus said there's no greater love than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. The cross is love. It's not like, I got love, and maybe I'll get a cross someday. No. The cross is love. I do what Jesus says. I stand with him. I get to know his heart. I want to be with him. And yes, I understand that's going to cost me my reputation. It's going to cost me some understanding. I'm going to be misunderstood. That's part of the deal. And I'm going to actually count that as success with him because he's completely misunderstood. And that's the only love that there really is. So when you start to get filled with the love of Jesus, he actually starts to displace all the fear of the cross. Perfect love casts out fear. So we actually have to be like, I'm not afraid of being misunderstood. I know Jesus. He understands me perfectly. I don't even understand me. But Jesus knows me, and he knows that what I'm doing, I'm doing in faith, and I'm doing in God. And I don't even judge myself is what Paul said. I let the Lord judge me because I don't know everything. And that's what Paul was really saying when he said, I don't even judge myself. He's like, I'm not qualified to judge myself. My heart is slippery. I do some things thinking I'm in faith and I'm wrong, but then when God tells me I'm wrong, I run to him and not from him. This is the only way it works. This is what is called to mature in faith. So we have to be a people that are willing to take some risks on what we think God is saying to do. And it is a risk. That's what makes it faith. And then over time, we're correctable. We're like, I I was wrong about that. Or I was right about that. So I'm getting to learn the voice of my friend. And that's love. And without love, all the work, it's useless. So 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 8. Though I speak with the tongue of men and angels, but I have not love. I can know all the prophecies. I can know all the super secret language stuff. But without love, without a cross, without actually saying, I'm going to stay in this meek place with Jesus and just try to agree with him about it and not get into the fruitless works, you can get a prophetic word and suddenly be thrust into fruitless striving to make that word happen. That's usually how it works. And so he's like, don't do that. But over time, like, don't be condemned if you do that. Everybody does that. Over time, you want to stop doing that. You actually want to get into the rest. You want to enter the rest today. If you're hearing what I'm saying today, go into it today. Don't be like, I'm going to do that someday. Though I speak with tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, prophecy is not an excuse to have a bad personality. I've been learning this one the hard way lately. Just because you know what God is saying doesn't mean you get to run over people. And I'm sorry if I've done that to you. I really am. Though I get the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and and, and I'm not saying that I know a bunch of stuff. I'm saying I run over some people. And though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned but have not love, it profits me nothing. Listen to that. This is the main, I mean, if you look to the mission statement of most of the church in the world, though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned but have no cross, it profits me nothing. Nothing. No one's going to get attacked and killed for feeding little poor kids. They're going to get attacked and killed for agreeing with Jesus about the way he feeds poor kids. 
about the way he does it. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. There's a lot of ministry that happens from a place of envy. I just, I want to be like that. I want to do that. That's not love. And it doesn't really see the true ministry. The true ministry of Jesus Christ is a cross. There's a lot of pain that comes with fruitfulness, a lot. It is not puffed up. It does not behave rudely. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. thinks no evil. does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. Love never fails. It's fruitful forever. That's what Mary got. Mary got a cross, and she got fruitfulness forever. But whether there are prophecies, they'll fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. Mary may not have even understood completely why she was doing what she was doing, but she did it in faith, and Jesus showed her. He actually he vindicated her in front of all these guys, and he was like, she's getting me ready for my burial. She may not have even known that. He told her and them something about what was going on. You see what I'm saying? When we do stuff in faith, we might not even understand what it's going to happen or what it means, but the faithful response becomes fruitful. It's him. He gets all the glory. He gets all the credit. Most lawlessness in the church happens by people trying to fulfill prophecy, the Great Commission, unity, the pouring out of the Spirit, discipling of the nations. Most of the lawlessness happens with really good intentions is what I mean. These are all prophetic end-time promises that will be born out of corporate prayer and persecution. These are fruits is what I mean. They're not people going and doing stuff. All these things, the Great Commission, that's a fruit that happened in the upper room in Acts 2. Those guys, they weren't like, hey, let's keep doing this until all the 3,000 come and we save them. They they had no idea what was going to happen. That wasn't their works. That was a fruit that popped out of abiding in a vine. They're abiding. Oh, man, we got to learn these languages. He said we're going to pick up snakes and not get hurt. I'm terrified of cobras. Lord, oh, you're terrified of cobras too. Lord, help us both. We're agreeing with you. We're going to have to do this. He's like, I'm going to do it. And out popped 17 different languages, 3,000 getting saved, then 5,000 getting saved, then a massive power-filled church in the only place on the planet it was illegal. That was a fruit. That wasn't those guys building it. If they, if they built it, it would be worthless. In fact, we see examples of them trying to build stuff. That was a fruit of abiding. That's the, this is the Great Commission. What I'm describing to you, this is the Great Commission. So most lawlessness happens in the church by people trying to fulfill prophecy rather than believing prophecies. The Great Commission, unity, outpouring of the Spirit, discipling of the nations, these are all prophetic end-time promises that will be born out of corporate prayer and love, a cross. Luke 18, 7 8. Shall God not avenge his own elect to cry out day and night to him, although he, though he bears long with them? He's waiting for them. I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. What is it, what is he, why is he bearing with them? What is he waiting to see? Fruit. Very good. Yes, he's waiting for fruit. Good. So when you read the book of Revelation, there's a declaration in the book of Revelation, somewhere around Revelation 15. The fruit's ready. Let's get the wine press going. Let's harvest the fruit. It's both fruit of righteousness and the fruit of rebellion, both. That's what he's looking for right now. That's why he says to the, to the servants, don't pull up the tares yet. Wait, let's see if they bear fruit. That's what when we pray night and day and we're praying for God to avenge his own elect, we'd be like, is he hearing this thing? And he'd be like, I'm watching for fruit, friends. Keep praying. Keep praying. I see it coming out. I see it starting to pop out. I see the bud. I see it starting to ripen. I see you're growing. You're becoming 
attached to me. Yes, I see the fruit coming forward. Keep praying. Nothing's happening. He's like, you don't understand. Everything's happening. This is the point to abide you in me. That's, that's what's going to happen. That's the salvation plan is to get you abiding in me. It's not to lay your hands on sick and see them get healed, though that will happen. What's supposed to happen is the abiding in him. There's always something happening if you're really praying, always. Shall God not avenge his own elect to cry out to him day and night, though he bears long with him? I tell you, he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? Now, the prophetic fulfillments of what Jesus taught, they're fruit that grows, not people that goes. Matthew 24, 9 to 14. They will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. This is a circumstance. This is something that's going to happen, okay? This is like the atmosphere. Just picture the sun, sky, rain. This is the atmosphere stuff grows in. You'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake, and then many will be offended. This is something people do. This is what the tares do. We'll betray one another. We'll hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. They'll be really busy in the kingdom, saving people, prophesying, preaching, calling down fire, and they're deceiving tons of people. Promised, okay? And because lawlessness will abound, where? Well, in the false prophets. The false Buddhist prophets. No, you guys don't care about Buddhist prophets. I'm talking about false Christian prophets, right? Lawlessness will abound, and the love of many will grow cold. Where? In the church. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a fruit of this. It will, oh, the actual gospel of Mary's love and a cross and hearing God and abiding in him and doing the right thing and getting all the wrong treatment, that gospel will be preached to the whole world, not because we wrote a bunch of tracts or translated the Bible into 170 different languages, but because we were fruit-bearing abiders that let God do something through us. You see what I'm saying? It's a fruit. It's not, man's going to get no glory for that. But everyone who agrees with him about the fruit of it will share his glory with him, just like Mary. He's like, I'm not going to let that be forgotten ever. He'd be like, but she was literally just sitting at your feet enjoying you. And then she took the perfume. Yes, it was costly, but she certainly liked being that close to you and loving on you. And you're, gonna, you're like, that's the thing you're going to reward forever? Yes, because that makes me the hero, the rescue, the, salva- the, the savior. That's what I want. He wants to be the savior. He is the savior. It's not that he wants to be. He is. He wants us to agree with him that it's true. So, the timing of these things really matters. The, the, he enduring to the end shall be saved, and the gospel of the kingdom be preached in all the world as a witness, and then the end coming. That timing really matters. He doesn't want us to do that out of the timing, because if we do it, that's actually advancing, impatiently speeding up stuff that doesn't actually produce fruit. It's just lawlessness, okay? So flip to me to the next page. We're going to wrap up here in just a second. I actually want you to go down to uh, page 3, Daniel 7, verse 25. I had this in another place in the notes, and I moved it here, and I shouldn't have moved it here. It doesn't fit here. Daniel 7, 25. This is speaking of the Antichrist. He shall speak pompous words against the Most High, shall persecute the saints of the Most High, and shall intend to change times in law. He'll be impatient. He will stir the church to impatience. Now, there's a story in the Bible about the spirit of Elijah, and somebody brought up the spirit of Elijah. Who, who prophesied the spirit of Elijah this morning during worship? Matthew. Thank you. The spirit of Elijah is a a spirit of patience and prayer. So Elijah, when he faced off with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, he did something that makes no sense for starting a fire. He actually, he was abiding in something nobody else could see, agreeing 
with very strange instructions for fire starting. We just started a fire here a couple nights ago. If we would have done it Elijah's way, I mean, who knows? But I didn't hear the Lord saying to do that. I thought he said use fire starter. But Elijah, my point is Elijah did something illogical. And the prophets of Baal were very active, religiously active. They were moving. They were working hard. If God reward those who worked hard, they should have had a thousand fires started. But God rewards those who diligently seek him. Jen, you want to come back up? This is what God is looking for right now. People who are willing to let God be God and actually learn how to abide in him and in faith do things that may not make sense to anyone else. Now, when Elijah did this, did Elijah get a cross? Anybody get mad at Elijah for calling down fire? Who got mad at him? Jezebel got mad at him. Was Elijah like, no problem, I got the faith. No, he was a man just like you. He had a nature just like ours. He was afraid. But God is looking for people who believe the things that I just told you. If you want that, stand with me. We're going to ask him for faith. The spirit of Jesus, it's the, it's the, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Jesus is not asking us to do anything that he doesn't completely help with. He's just asking us to say, yeah, this is actually the way I'm supposed to live, and I don't live this way. So we'd be like, ah, this is, these are all the ways I do what you're saying. Yes, this is good, God. And he's, that's not really the conversation we're having right now. The conversation we're having is, where are you spinning your wheels? Where are you getting frustrated with everybody else? Where are you getting burned out? Where do you see need, and you impatiently want to answer the need rather than just pray? Do you hear it in the earth right now? We're done with your thoughts and prayers. Just praying is not enough. The accusation is starting right now. And many people will get sucked into it thinking they're serving God because they just don't have the humility to believe the Bible. Holy Spirit in this room, would you convince us that just prayer is what you want? Or that you would, your character is not to leave us unfruitful if we pray, but to make us fruitful. Would you pour on us confidence that fruitless works, they work counter to your kingdom? That we don't just do what we can in the meantime. You said you're looking for faith for those who pray day and night. Lord, would you show us where the enemy is lying to us? Where he's actually saying, what if it doesn't happen? What if the money doesn't come? What if you waste your life and no one actually ever gets saved? What if the marriage fails? What if the kids never see Jesus? These are costly, risky choices he wants us to make. They're the most valuable things that he wants. He doesn't want us to search through our kitchen and give him what's left over. He wants the things in the heart of our homes, the heart the valuable things. God, right now, faith, pour it out. Pour out faith. The enemy's a liar. Pour out faith, God, right now. It's not something that we can stir ourselves up to do, this faith. It's something he gives it as a gift. We're just asking, God, give us faith. We want to see faith grow some fruit. I just bind condemnation and shame that you don't have enough faith. You don't. I just Let's just settle it. You don't. Holy Spirit, give us the thing we don't have. Faith, 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 faith. Fill us up so that when we make decisions this week, we see, oh, wow, where'd that fruit come from? Got faith, faith, fire, 
Put fire in this room, fire in our hearts. In the name of Jesus, amen.